happen to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. So many good things happening. It's nice to see leaves on the trees, right? Uh, But lots of things planned for this summer, lots of activities. And uh, God's got some great things in store for us. I don't know if you're like me, but I'm so tired. I'm so tired of talking politics and COVID and masks and you name it. Uh, We've talked and talked and talked about it. you know, the last two years of our lives have, have all really tr- changed. Some of us are still recovering from physical effects of COVID, and um, all of us, our patterns changed. Some of us took a financial hit. Some lost jobs or changed jobs. My kids were telling me the other day about uh, one of the shows they were watching, uh, how in the show, it's one of those kids' shows, um, one of the kids got cancer, and so uh, she had to wear a mask. And so in the show... All the kids were, were trying, trying to connect with their friend and were going to wear masks along with her. And they were talking in the show about how hard it is to find masks. And she said, the kids were like, yeah, this is, this is a pre-COVID uh, show because that, that's not the case anymore. You know, and I told them when 9-11 happened, the same is true. Like there were TV shows that you would watch and every time you'd see something that had the Twin Towers on it, you were like, oh, that, that's pre-9-11. So culture changes, things change, perspectives change. Um, one thing, though, is, is that we uh, recognize is that change came in the last two years. Uh, many of you work from home now or, or remotely. Um, we all appreciate our teachers like never before if we've done remote learning at all. Um, uh, we do more online shopping. Grocery pickup is like the coolest thing ever, right? And uh, we spend a lot more time streaming TVs and movies at home like Who's been to the movie theater in a couple of years? It's just culture has changed. Um, but many of us have also worked really hard at rebuilding our lives. With the extra time that some of us had, we made renovations to our house or repairs that were on the back burner. How many of you guys took trips to Lowe's or Menards or whatever else? Uh, and, and prices of things went up, but you had the time or you had extra resources and, and everybody worked on projects. Um, uh, some of you spent more time with your family, maybe camping or, or camping or vacationing, uh, with extra stimulus money, or or um, we it was designed to rebuild your lives. Some of us bought new cars or traded things in, and so that's where we stand today. Two years, almost to the date. I mean, we're talking late March, right when the the COVID wave started. Here we are, two years later, and. Um, it's just it's a good message to assess where we are in life. Um, and so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Haggai chapter 1. Not Haggis, Haggai. It's near the end of the Old Testament. It's a very short book. So the context of this book is very similar in, in a lot of ways to our own context. Um, the nation of Israel has taken a dramatic turn. Theirs wasn't a pandemic, it was actually an invading force that destroyed their nation, ruined their capital, and turned their temple to rubble. Uh, but um, 
not only was their nation destroyed, they were they're forced to leave their homeland and lived in exile. And during that time period, that was the design of, of a conquering nation, is not only if they could defeat their foe, but spread them out throughout the empire, then they would lose their national identity. They would just become homogenized within the, the culture, and they'll never have a desire to return home. Uh, but now it's been 70 years later. The Babylonians conquered them. Now the Persians are in power. And uh, they have deemed that people that want to return home and restore and rebuild can. And so out of all the nations that were conquered by the Babylonians, and now this offer is offered by the Persians, as far as we know historically, the nation of Israel was the only one to return home. The most majority of the people did not lose their national identity. They had the prophets, they had the Old Testament, they had their culture, and they refused to lose it. And so they're returning home to the rubble, to the ashes, um, to, to their homes, to their, their, their homeland. Um, and just like us, the Israelites now have a greater idea of what is valuable and what is not. They want a fresh start, and they're taking their time and resources to rebuild their lives. So we can recognize now, two years later, that there are some good things that came out of the COVID interruption. It caused us to reassess our lives. It caused us to ask questions. Many of us, it caused us to deal with our mortality. Same with the nation of Israel. And so now they're in this moment of rebuilding, and we're in this moment of rebuilding and restoring and reassessment. And, uh, And so that's where we are. Now Haggai is a prophet who is looking at the process. God speaks to him and says, what's happening is good, but there's a problem. And we're going to see if their problem is the same as our problem. Haggai chapter 1. On August 29th of the second year of King Darius' reign, the Lord gave a message to the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. The people are saying, The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Now, when everyone restarted and rebuilt their homes and their lives, they, were fo- they focused solely on their homes and their lives, each one individually. So each person went to their homeland, to their property, to, to what was their ancestors, and they saw it, and they immediately started building up their own personal lives, which is really good. But they forgot something. They forgot to restore the temple. They forgot to restore the worship of God. And so... I think that's a question before us. Are we in the same boat? I know things have changed prior to COVID and and our involvement and our busyness and what the church looks like and we've assessed all those things. Have we said later? I have to admit to you that even in my own process, I've changed things. I put greater time and value with my kids and my wife and my home. Uh, I'm busy, but I'm not the same kind of busy. Some patterns that were unhealthy, I've changed, and I've developed some other unhealthy patterns. Um, But we all needed that hard reset. 
But let's talk about the church for a little, little bit. Let's talk about worship and community and outreach. Have we neglected to rebuild the church from our own personal lives? Have you said to yourself, well, we'll do that later? Haggai says the evidence of the need is right in front of you. Life should be better. Life should be more fulfilling and content. And so he says to them in their context, you're living in luxurious houses. Now, I don't know what constitutes a luxurious house during this time period. You may say my home is anything but luxurious. But again, if we are comparing ourselves to the rest of the world, we are very luxurious. I mean, we have running water. We have toilets that work. Some of us have garages, houses for our cars. You know, you, we got electricity. We don't have that many power outages. I mean, all those things. When you start thinking of that, that's what, what Haggai's saying, is you've come from a place where you were in exile, you were in poverty, you were in, in prison, and, and not everybody got the situation Daniel did where he got to live in the palace, right? You're here, you're living in luxurious homes, you're planning much, your bellies are full, you have enough to drink, and you've got warm clothes, and you have money, but he's saying you're not content. You're planning much, but you're harvesting little. Yes, your bellies are full, and, and your mouths are, 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 are full of liquid, and, and yet you're dressed, and yet it's not satisfying. You're still thirsty, you're still cold. All that stimulus money, where is it now? Your, your tax returns. I mean, I've gotten lots of tax return stuff because i got lots of kids. The government keeps saying, here, I have more money. Where's it all going? Where's it all going? Are we more restless now than we were before COVID started? Just think about your life for a second. It, the world says if you have, and you've done this, all your work, all your renovations, all the things you purchased, are you content? Maybe this restlessness that you've been feeling, you can't figure out why, that you're still lacking. Could it be that our problem is the same problem that the Israelite people had during the time of Haggai? God, the body of Christ, worship, and outreach isn't our priority. We haven't visited a shut-in or a nursing home in a while. It's not the time yet. We'll do it later. Mission trips... Too dangerous. I mean, I, I love to hear that we're sending Emily. She's going to Hungary on the border of what's happening with Russia. And, and, and so she's there. Too dangerous? No, God's calling. Are we making excuses? Thank you, by the way, for supporting her in that so, so much. That's a huge thing. Thank you. Um, what about evangelizing our community? Well, it, it's not quite safe yet. Our condition may be due to the fact that God's people are not building worship and community as we're called to. As we're called to. Let's keep reading, 7 through 11. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills and bring down timber and rebuild my house then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies. While all of you are busy building 
your own fine houses. It's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. True blessings don't come from the stuff that we have. It comes from who we have in spite of what little or abundance we have. It's the difference. It's the difference. Have you paid more or less in your tithes post-COVID? Pastor, you're stepping on my toes. You know, there's a recession going on. Gas prices just jumped 20 cents in just a few days. You know, there's a war in Europe. That could change things. I've got to take care of myself. Let me, let me ask you a question. Who causes the plants to grow? Who causes them to grow out of the dirt? The sun to shine or not to shine? If the God of the universe is your Father, won't He provide exactly what you need when you need it? Honor God first. Jesus said it best in Matthew 6.33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Notice the difference here. I've got to get my house in order. I've got to have the right yard and, and, and these projects and all of this. And then I'll be able to serve the Lord the proper way. Then I'll be available. Guys, the projects will never end. I know this. I'm married. I've got my projects, and my wife has her projects, and now my dad has an attachment to my house, and he's got his projects, right? The projects never end. When are we going to give back to the Lord as he's calling us to? I think we get it backwards sometimes. I mean, let's look at some of our needs in the church. For weeks now, we've been asking for a toddler to teach on Sunday morning, a toddler teachers, two to four-year-olds. We've been asking and asking and asking, and I asked Joy, yes, she's getting some responses, and, and we're about to kickstart that. But all of those kids, all those kids that you see, the mad migration, most of you aren't here, second service, there's like 30 kids that leave this sanctuary and go to the children's chapel. We need to divide them up a little bit. Those teachers, I mean, that's a lot of kids to handle. Praise God, right? We're looking for toddler teachers. Um, we're offering children's classes through VBS all summer long. We need volunteers for that. As Pastor Sean mentioned, Kairos Prison Ministries happening in a couple weeks. We need prayer support. We need people to pray 24 hours around the clock. And you know what? That's prayer. You can do that anywhere. We're not asking you to come into the building and do that. We're just asking you to pray. Um, have you ministered to your friends or coworkers? Let me ask you this question. And, and I I know my perspective is different. I've been a pastor in this church almost 10 years, right? And so I've been a pastor almost 20 years. And so my perspective is different from you. My coworkers are here. But when was the last time you invited someone to church? Well, they might say no, yeah, but at least they've been invited. Do they know what church you go to? I had a conversation with somebody just this week who was talking to me about foster care and, and um, information for this foster care event that's happening, Chestnut Ridge Church, and they're, they're informing people about 
how to get involved in our, and that's, and that's great, that's wonderful, I'm glad they're doing that. But I said, you know what, we've got 16 kids in our church who have been adopted through the foster system. He said, in your church? I said, yeah. He said, your, your size church? I said, yeah. He said, well, I should have been talking to you. I, okay. But, but they don't know, because we're not communicating it. You know, there's a balance between doing what you do for the praise of men and doing what you do for God. And there is a balance of, well, it's just how we live. We don't have to proclaim our good works for men or who we are. We just live it. So there's a balance there. And I'm, I'm, I know that's a fine line. But I'm saying, do we have a footprint in our community? Do people know you go to church? And if they do, do they know what church? And if they do, have you ever invited them? And if you haven't invited them, why? Why? Just saying. What ministries are you involved in? Well, my go-to is, I'll pray about it. And I think you should. Never volunteer for a ministry you haven't prayed about. Okay? Because you're going to get asked, but not everything you're called to. But do you really pray about it? Or do you say that in the moment and then be like, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to pray. Because <laughs> God might call me. No, guys, listen. If Jesus is the point of life, if what we're experiencing now won't last, if all the stuff we accumulate now won't last, if there's lost and dying people out there, what are we doing? All of us have gifts. All of us have talents. If we're not using them, they're decaying. I've shared with you before, I felt like I had somewhat of a gift for basketball at one point in my life. That gift has long gone. It has decayed. My body says, you can make that shot, and the youth laugh and say no. It's gone. My wife, even before retreat, said, do not do any athletics. You're going to come home hurt. You're going to think you can do it, and you can't anymore. I don't want that for your spiritual gifts. Haggai 1.4, again, why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? Let's keep reading. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. And when they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. They began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of heaven's armies." What was the motivating force that caused them to break from their pattern of self-seeking, selfishness, and moving to a place of wanting to rebuild God's people? It was the fear of the Lord. Do we have any fear of the Lord in our life? I'm afraid that we don't really. We're too comfortable we're too casual. We're too distracted. We fear lots of things, but not the Lord. And so we often say, I don't feel like it. 
I'm tired. I'm overcommitted as it is. God is a good father. And like all good fathers, he does not seek to punish us. He waits to put his foot down. But sometimes, whoa, that was much louder than I thought it was going to be. He has to put his foot down. Sometimes he has to say, enough! I've told you, and I've told you, and I've given you opportunity after opportunity. It's time. And that's what he's doing here. He's saying, your actions, your decisions is causing this famine. Your actions, your decisions is coming through this time of of want and need because you're spoiled. I bless you with so much that you're not listening to my voice anymore and I've got to remove that so you'll seek me once again and do what I've designed you to do. It is after they start obeying that the enthusiasm starts. If we wait until we feel like it, we will never do it. So what we need to fear, feel first is the fear of the Lord. There is death ahead of you. Your lifespan is slowly and sometimes quickly decreasing. <laughs> we, nobody in this room knows the day or the hour when Jesus says, whoop, you're out. None of us do. Do you have friends Family, loved ones that God has placed in your life that do not have a hope for eternity, we should feel an urgency for them. We should feel a a conviction about our sin, a, a, a challenge of my time, my responsibility, what I'm called. We should feel that the fear needs to be the motivating force. But as soon as we allow the fear of God to move us, what does God say in this passage? I am with you. Now we're, we're just, you're just starting, but we're in a good place. Let's do this together. Come on! And it says that he sparks the enthusiasm. Starts with fear. I don't feel like it. Guys, I never feel like exercising. Ever. Second helpings, yes. Lots of desserts, oh yeah. Exercise? No. But the fear of looking at some of the old pictures from my past, or the fear of looking at the ideal of what I could be, or my kids missing out on what my kids are experiencing because my health isn't good enough, are all motivating forces. That fear can pull me to wake up early enough to exercise, right? And then enthusiasm follows. The difference is we have the God of the universe empowering us to reach a lost and dying world. We've got the God of the universe that can take the rubble that's in this church and build something new that's never been here before. He can create an enthusiasm. That's a challenge of a pastor. I'll just, I'll just relate to you. Pastor Tomer's here with me with this. We sometimes feel this pressure to create enthusiasm in you to get programs and, and ministries up and running. We as pastors fall into that trap as well. How can I motivate people? We're not called to motivate people. We're called to tell them the truth. Let God do the surgery on their heart, and He creates the enthusiasm. If you fabricate it, it won't last. It's not real. And I don't know if you're like me. I'm done with fake 
stuff. I want reality. I want, I want real ministry that comes from the heart. I don't want to fit our church into some cookie-cutter pattern as to what churches should be or what a Christian should be. I want to go straight to the face of God and say, who do you have for us to be? What is our calling? What is our design? God wants to do something new in our generation. And we have to realize that we're, we're in danger of losing something far greater than a recession can take from us. You know what we're in danger of losing? Our moment. Our moment. You're here now. And he has moments daily where you have an impact on someone's life. Or you can have the fullness of something more. Part of uh, my, my personal struggle, you know, God is, we build a house uh, build the addition to the house. We have this land, and, and so we kind of feel this pressure that we, we have these couple acres, and let's utilize it. So, you know, I'm just about done processing meat chickens. If you ever have a desire to do meat chickens, just talk to me. I'll, I'll talk you out of it. It, it is not fun. Um, garden, bees, lots of things going on. It's great. Good things. But I know what that parable of the good soils is talking about, where it says, The third soil that was growing in good soil, but it was choked out by the life of the weeds. Sometimes you can be doing so many good things in your life that you're missing out on what's better. And so I'm preaching a sermon to you where it applies to me as well. I've been so focused on my own personal providing for my family that I've not been able to give fully to what God's called me to do in this church. And this message is just as convicting as it should be for, for me as it is for you as well. That, that, yeah, all those things are great and having a nice home and things, that's wonderful, but it won't last. Who wastes their time on something that'll be burned up and destroyed? It's like burning money. Should we, have a, should we do that? Let's, let's have a service where we just gather together and burn money. And they're like, no, why would we ever do that? Well, that's what we do with our time and our effort. And so what we need to realize is we're missing moments, a calling, a design. How tragic would it be if Abraham wasn't in the Bible because he missed his moments? Or Moses, or David, or Joseph. That's the tragedy of King Saul. I can't read King Saul's story without feeling like Samuel does and just cry for him. He missed his moments. So look around today and this week. Look around the church. Look around your your community. Look around your workplace and see what needs done. See what's torn down and needs rebuilt. Um, I've heard from people, some that have left, some that are still here. These are three statements that I hear often. Well, our church doesn't offer this or that. There isn't a place for me or I don't feel welcome. All those three things hurt, and they're genuine observations. I don't fault any of those observations. I don't. They're genuine. People feel that way. People struggle to connect, and they're all valid. But I'll tell you, as a pastor, we'll never have all the ministries that we should or be a place where everybody can serve or be welcomed or invited if all we do is share our criticisms and observations 
and don't seek to change the culture. I think that's one of the spirit of the ages that's such a problem. I'm almost done with college athletics. I've been done with pro, pro sports for a while. Do you know why? Everybody's in it for themselves. This transfer portal and college sports is ridiculous. Pro sports, you don't like what's going on in your team? I demand a trade. I'm going to sit out. Everybody's in it for themselves. Nobody wants to take a system or a program and build it from something. Nobody has any pride or ownership or anything else in it. And, and so that's a symptom in our culture. But I think that same symptom is in the church, in the body of Christ. We look around and say, well, that place looks really healthy and nice and wonderful. I want to go there because I can hide out there and it's running and I can do my own thing on the side and I can feel good about myself because I'm a part of a church that's doing this, 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 and this. And we're getting fat and lazy. I want our church to be people who are genuinely called here, yes, but people who say, we have a need here, pastor. I want to help make that work. I want to be a part of that. And I apologize to you if you've seen needs or, or, or had a desire to do a ministry and, and hesitated to, to talk to me about it because you didn't think I would be welcoming to it. I want you to talk to me about what God is prompting in your heart. But just know if you're going to come to me with those observations, I'm also going to challenge you if God has pointed this out to you, then maybe you're supposed to be a part of it. Maybe not lead it, but help make this work. If we want our church to be an inviting, welcoming place that has a place for other people, where are you rebuilding the church? Where are you rebuilding it? I want covenant to be everything that you want it to be, but it can only be that way if we come to Jesus together. So let's go into the hills and bring down the timber and rebuild the house. Let's not abandon the ruins of Old Covenant, but let's take where God wants His people now and build something for the future. Even looking around this room, I'm just, let me scan for a second. Let me just, just give, me, give me one second here. There are like maybe 10 faces that I remember in this room from my childhood that were part of Old Covenant. This is a new day. This is a new age. And you are the people called to this church for this community for a reason. Let's change our priorities. And let's build God's house together. Amen? Lord Jesus, I thank you for the, the, the word, um, for the message of Haggai. Honestly, Lord, this is not, um, this is a tough love message that uh, really no father delights in giving. And, and definitely as a pastor, I don't delight in giving per se, Lord, because it's convicting to me too. Um, forgive us for focusing on our own lives and our own legacies and burning money, to be honest. Help us to make this place a place of worship. God, we... We don't feel like it, if we're honest. We don't feel like it. Some of us have wounds from past ministry that have sidelined us 
Others have believed things about themselves that they're incapable and, and so they won't move. But Jesus, you're calling every person in this room to something. Maybe a greater heart of evangelism in our community, Lord. Maybe, maybe a, a new ministry in the church. Maybe jumping into something that's already existing. Lord, as we step out of our weariness and our fear of the world and embrace this fear of you, restore that enthusiasm that we've been lacking. I can't do it, Lord. You know I've tried and failed. And I myself don't have it in me anymore. So thank you for droughts. <laughs> thank you for full stomachs that aren't satisfied. For mouths that are full of liquid and yet still thirsty. Thank you, God, for clothing that doesn't keep us warm. We want you. We need you. And in this passage, he says, I will be with you. So be with us, we pray. In your name, amen. Worship team comes forward. Um, we'll have a closing song. Just encourage you.